Um, I, I don't want to like skip over the union stuff a little bit too, because it's rare that we get to have that kind of a voice in here. Um, and so if someone were to be opposing a union, you already mentioned like this stuff when it comes to pretty much the insurance, right? It's, it's insurance of a certain bar that's being set inside the workplace from a safety concern, uh, making sure you're getting paid, right? That kind of stuff. Protection. Um, what would you say to someone who would say, you know what? I'm out on unions. Unions are stupid. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 62nd episode of According to Allen. I'm your host, Alan Moskowski, and we are live from the local 219 studios, as always, in downtown Crown Point. I am joined with Kyle Muha. Hello. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing well. And how about yourself, I'm, do- I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Man, this is like the most formal we've ever been for a podcast ever. Well, we got to keep it professional. <laughs> and joined uh, was a special guest. You are um, the head of the Unions of NIPSCO. One of the NIMSCO. We got two unions. I'm the physical side, and then there's Jill Serban's clerical side. Okay. I represent the 1,500 linemen, gas service, and meter readers, gas street people, power plant people. Awesome. Um, your wife is in attendance. She is the state representative of, of Indiana, Lisa Beck. Yes. And Just, you are an incredible researcher and um, learner, if that's a word, <laughs> of, of just world history, philosophy, and theology, and all that fun stuff. I enjoy reading it, researching it, have for almost 40 years. And so just, we, I still have yet to say your name, <laughs> Vern Beck. Yes. And do you go by Vern or Vernon? Vern. Vern, okay. Um, and then uh, th- this is kind of an exciting day for us because this is the first podcast we've ever had that's uh, sponsored. So Kyle, good job. Thank you. <laughs> we um, are sponsored now by Crown Brewing, and um, they've given us beer tonight. And the one that uh, seemed to be the hot one for being so warm out and being Memorial Day weekends, the Flam Rouge. And if you haven't had that, have you had this one, Kyle? I have not. This is my uh, first time even seeing it. It's a cool label that they got on there. Awesome label, refreshing. It's, it's a like raspberry a sp- wheat. It's got like a spring feel to it. Yep, and. Uh, they are also, we've got two things going on with them. If you've been paying attention to our social media platforms, you know that we are giving away beer for a year with Crown Brewing. That ends, if this gets l- released on Monday, um, it ends by Tuesday morning, so get on that. And um, we also got the Crown Beer Fest June 15th at the Lake County Fairgrounds. Tickets are still available, so get on that. And I'm a p- particular fan of their uh, Special Forces IPA. Really, what do you what do you like about it the most? Because you, if I remember correctly, I met you at a beer share, <laughs> which is awesome, and um, you said that you weren't always into beer, right? And it took a little bit of a coercing. Yeah, I was just didn't have the taste for domestic beers, and then one day my daughter said, "Dad, you got to try this Crown Blueberry Ale," and I thought, "No," I told her, "I said I don't like beer," and she had me try it, and I go, "Wow, this has got good flavor." Yeah, that's so, a good. It's a good one. Yep, it, definitely underrated beers for sure. I think with Crown and um, at that beer share, uh, we get to see some like crazy beers there. Yes, I, I don't. I don't feel like the person who owns it and runs it wants me to say that and what it is out loud. So I, I'll probably keep that anonymous. But it's in a hidden location somewhere between Crown Point and Maryville, right? Yes. And um, have, do you go to a lot of those? I've been to a few. Yeah. What do you Not think? It's interesting to be able to try a bunch of different beers without you know. You know, it's just an opportunity to. To try a bunch of different stouts and sours and IPAs, 
and trying to define what your palate is. Have your palate is your palate matured over the time? It, ha- I think it has. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big, big uh, drinker, but I like like a beer at night or something to help just relax and end of the day. So same here. Um, and and one of the things are coming on number one. Um, I know that when we met during that beer share, we talked for quite a bit of time. And that was exciting for me because we had a lot of great convo. And it's rare that I get a chance to really kind of shoot the shit about, you know, um, all the stuff that we mentioned earlier. I think uh, we were talking about the great courses in particular. Yes. And if you're not familiar with that as a listener, Kyle, are you familiar with that? No, I'm not sure what that is It's pre- It's pretty incredible. So how long have they been doing that? I know for at least 30 years, I would say. Because I used to say, boy, I wish I could afford that. <laughs> and but their ads would show it that it was several hundred dollars per course but once you get into it and they have sales you, they're very reasonable they can be $48 for a set of 24 30 minute lectures yeah and these lectures it's crazy they they literally take them from all these Ivy League schools all the universities across the country and these professors um, I Vern introduced me to the audio portion of it but there's a video portion too so they video these guys doing these lectures and it's about every topic essentially and it's like a usually like a 10 to 12 part series the one that uh, Vern turned me on to was this, um, a skeptics guide to American history very interesting and that was crazy and not to like bore everybody at home but i'll throw a couple facts your way kyle since all right hit me hit me with that i'm ready the the first one that blew my mind was um that not everybody was into the revolutionary war like we, we look we think back of it like it was america versus england game on but like half america was like f that i'm not doing i'm not fighting you had the loyalists that were against the revolution and, and did everything they could to try to stop it right and so they ended up at the end of the day they ended up moving to canada yes getting out of here so they aborted the u.s completely um what was what was a couple of the other ones oh the um the difference between church and state was really interesting that's with roger williams when john Winthrop was trying to introduce the government and state and the religion and roger williams we assume that we're trying to keep the religion out of state where Roger Williams was trying to keep the government out of his religion. So they didn't get along. He was excommunicated, so he went and got a charter and started his own place in Rhode Island. So he got the charter of Rhode Island, and he started his own religion-type setup, trying to make a perfect religion, which didn't turn out so well. Ended up, him and his wife were the only ones that could accept communion at the end, so he figured he kind of overdid it, so he had to back off his his criteria. Crazy, right? Because we all th- we always think about it as church, separation from state, and trying to keep church out of it. And it's amazing that it was built off of the exact opposite fundamentals. And apparently, um, through that, what I learned was the um, the religion was more like capitalism is today. Is that like we just it's this invisible force that we don't even question, right? Like like really, and like more people like nobody just questioned religion at that time period either. No, and it, John Winthrop he set it up, and you followed his rules, or else you were excommunicated. Period. Which is crazy. That's intense. (laughs) Kyle, is there anything that you'd be excommunicated about that you'd be willing to take one for the team? I'm not sure if anything just immediately comes to (laughs) mind here. It's a tough question. Um, That that was just a question that you just get thrown on on the spot and you're just like, I have no idea how to even answer this. Yeah. Um, there's uh, the the third the third topic of that that really blew me away was how sensitive we became to civil rights after World War II because we think of it as. you know, it's like like that kind of was always in the background. Um, however, it seems like 
the the Nazi regime and the dictatorship of of Hitler and of course the execution of Jews um, opened our eyes about like maybe we should be cooler to other people outside of ourselves. Yes. <laughs> so it's like okay. But yeah, a lot of the New Deal had never been accepted previously. Yeah. But after World War II, people were more accepting, so a lot of those laws got passed, which for me, being a union leader, was beneficial. That's when the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Board was, National Labor, Labor, National Labor Relations Act was created, which is very important. So there was a lot of things that was created in order to help the, the economy going on at that time. What does that act do? Well, it created the labor board, so that if, if we feel like we're being violated by the company, we can file a labor charge and go have it reviewed. And if they think it's true that they violated the act, then you can have a hearing and force the company to change their direction. Well, that's crazy. Yes. So I, I did this um, to as a prep uh, because I know you're a big fan of history. And uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we're still we're talking about war here. So I put up some U.S. facts Uh-oh. about war. Okay. <laughs> so just in general, how many people do you? How many soldiers do you think have died fighting for the U.S. and that includes the Civil War in the history of the United States? Well, we had over six hundred thousand died just in the Civil War. So I've heard it before, but I don't off the top of my head. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't take a guess. I'm going 7.5 million. Whoa. Okay, so it's 1.3 million according to WTTW in this, in this uh, thing. Um, when it comes to the deadliest war for us, uh, you had it, at least according to these numbers, the Civil War is at 499,000. Okay. I've heard 600. I've heard, like, it was the one, the deadliest one, with 20, around 25, 26,000 in that one day. Yep. And here's in uh, the second one is World War II, right? Um, here is the total number of kills. Yeah, yep. And then here goes the deadliest battle, which, uh, what do you think of that is? 26,000 died in one day. Antinomy. Kyle? I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't want to say this wrong. The Battle of Argonne Forest in World War One was 26,000 deaths. Okay. Maybe this is wrong. No, it could be. I'm not. So this was the latest estimates from the Department of Defense and Department of Veterans Affairs. And this was 2015. So it's a little old. Um, well, the Civil War was a long time ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the deadliest battle at the, of the Civil War says this is Gettysburg. Right. And that's 7,000. Maybe I'm thinking 2,600 instead of 26,000. Hmm. And then, let's see here. Who, who, oh, this isn't 2015, but what do you think? They got the oldest veteran here. What do you think? How old was he, at least at the time? His name is Richard Arvine or- Overton. 102. I'll say 105. <laughs> 109. 109. Oh, wow. Crazy. When I went to, have you guys ever been to Oahu, the uh, Pearl Harbor stuff? No. I've no? never been to Hawaii. So, oh, you got to check that out. That's fun. Um, but we, we, my wife and I went there for our honeymoon, and we were at Oahu, so we went to Pearl Harbor. And, man, is it a different atmosphere, like, going there. Um, they had this gentleman, though, who was, like, one of the five remaining survivors of Pearl Harbor, and he's just sitting in the bookstore, like, 24 hours a day, just signing books for people. Wow. 
It's crazy. So you get a chance to meet him if you really wanted to. The line was really long, and my wife is just not a history buff. Like there's, it was like it's like pulling teeth to get her to do any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't going to happen for me. Um, the this, this is a crazy stat um, of the population of the United States. How many served during World War Two? Seventy six percent. You're way way high. Fifty two percent. Twenty five percent. Twelve percent of the the, the America. Wow, I was wow, it's completely <laughs> off here. You had a band of heroes going, <laughs> uh, and as according to now, we have less than one percent serving. So that's crazy. Um, let's see here if there's anything else. I think that's, that wraps up my uh, stats. Is there anything you want to add? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not a, a not my full-time job. <laughs> I just enjoy learning about it. So I've got, I've got a few questions for you, Vern, just in, just in general, because it's rare that we get someone with uh, your kind of um, expertise and perspective. Um, so when it comes to unions in general, um, how, how is that? I mean, I know that's a pretty vague question, but when it comes to being in charge of 1,500 people, the modern like concepts of it, like uh, what are some pros of, of like being a part of it and some cons, I guess? Well, I've always been a person that likes a, likes a fight. So it, it helps to curb that part of my nature to satisfy it. And it's, it's a struggle every day because you have... We were at 35% density in the 50s, and now we're less than 10%. There are outside forces, certain political forces, that are trying to do everything they can to destroy unions. So there's, there's a battle going on that most people don't even, are not even aware of, that the unions, to me, are the last wall of defense. I always kind of use it as the analogy of uh, the wonderful life in Pottersville. Okay. That if there was no unions, to me, it'd be like Pottersville. That the unions are doing everything they can to protect, you know, pensions, retirement medical, your wages, your, your medical while you're working, your decency, safety on the job. There's just, you can tell the difference between those companies that don't have unions and those that do. The, the safety alone is a big factor. Really? So the skill in the job, jobs getting done as far as if you bid a job. I'm more of an industrial union being with NIFSCO, but the trade unionists, you're more likely to have a job that's on time, on budget or under budget, as opposed to not having a union as far as I'm concerned and what I've, you know, what I've seen over the years. Because they're, they're trained, they, are, they spent well over $40 million out of their own paychecks for schooling to, to run apprentice programs that train people on how to do the job as opposed to there are some people with you know my wife being down at the state legislator that are trying to create they're trying to destroy a lot of the bills so they can use jobs and even on public projects where they can bring in their own people that are not trained and they'll just say okay we're going to have you just go turn that bolt every you know all day long or cut that off and they're not they're not learning a skill they're just learning that one task and they they can make more money, those non-union groups. And so they are constantly trying to change the laws. Wow. They did it. My wife was fighting it all, all this session against people that were trying to change the laws. So how often do you feel that wave of political pressure that it's a kind of impact and influence in the, the unions? All the time. We just, we got a fight going on without, well, I shouldn't say their name. I'm not going to say their name, okay. but there's an aluminum uh, group that is 
trying to take away pensions and stuff from the United Steelworker Group, and they are fighting hard. We had a group over in Massachusetts, the National Grid, that was on a three-month strike because they were trying to take away their pension, retirement medical, and take away their benefits. And there has been a lot of strikes. You have the teachers. Indiana hasn't one of those. It is the worst state in the nation that has not had teacher raises compared to other states since 2002. That's crazy. And you can see where they're starting to, you got different groups that are starting with the teachers down in Hebron. You got Aaron Carpenter and Joanne DeFries that are, had marches that I'd never seen before. Those were here in the last month. You got the groups that started like the Northwest Indiana Coalition for Public Education that have formed to keep people aware of what's going on in society with these vouchers and charters and uh, virtual schools that failing miserably you got you got the public education when their graduating rate last year was around 91 percent charters on an average in the state was 40 percent virtual schools were 26 percent so during our budget year they pump more money to these failing charters and virtues at a much higher percentage and what they gave to public school didn't even keep up with inflation. Well, you're saying a lot there, so I'm going to try to like unpack a little bit of that. So when it comes to just education in general, right? So um, we're seeing that 91 percentile across the board, essentially, for their graduation rate of the public school system. Yes. Um, and does, does that include um, inner city schools, like we'll say... That's like across the board. North of Indy, Gary schools, all that stuff. Okay. And then the charter systems are very unique in particular. And you mentioned... the. We'll get to the virtual one too but the charter systems in particular what is i guess if it's a if we can all say that it's essentially been a failure at this point right i mean it, the whole process the i guess it started off with maybe good intentions but at a 40 percent um, graduation rate that means that pretty much no one's graduating it's a ba- it's a day's care right essentially so like it's gotten to the point now where it's a government-funded program for the most part, right? Those charter schools? Yes. And so at what point do we pull the plug on that? And then if we do pull the plug on that, what does that look like for the school systems? Well, the thing is, is they haven't increased the overall educational money to make up for those if they wanted to, you know, give those money to those charter schools. They've taken it from the same pool that was funding the public education. So it's greatly reduced public education funding which now you got all these. That's crazy. They got to go around and get these taxes passed. Hmm. So they wow. want to they want to add school or keep teachers. They got to go and they get referendums, which is it's putting all the pressure on the communities as opposed to doing what's right down at the state level and funding them properly. Yeah, because it sounds like it's just a mismanagement of funds at that point. I mean, if you're going to in- incorporate something like that, you would think there'd be an increase in pretty much budget, right? Yeah, there should be. If you, if you want to fund these charters and stuff like that, then you need to f- increase the funding, not take it from the public schools, which have done an awesome job of teaching. And it's obvious in their graduating rate. So, you know, but that's one issue. you got misclassifications where you got some contractors that are that are not... They misclassify their workers so they don't they just pay them cash and what that does is if they can underbid projects so now you got carpenters and different groups that are trying to bid against these people that are not playing fairly so they deal with that on a daily basis of groups that are coming in there wow. so there's there it's at all levels across the entire board where it's a constant you know battle 
we had the right to work shoved down our throats. There was, when there was a poll done back then, there was 76% of the population says, we're not interested in that, we're in, interested in the economy. But it didn't matter, and they, they went ahead and shoved it through. Common construction wage that was in, that was around for 82 years, that kept projects with Indiana people at a, a project labor agreement at a certain rate to make sure that it was jobs were done at a good, good price for the workers, with workers from Indiana, and they got rid of that. Because wow. they claimed it was gonna help, which this research has proved it hasn't. So there's a lot of things they've done, taking away the rights of teachers to uh, negotiate on their, a lot of their issues they have. They've been stripped of so much, and people are not even aware of it. So there's, at all levels in every group, there's a constant fight at the state level, at the national level, because there's always threats of doing a national right to work. And again, these, these are plays on words. There has, the right to work has nothing to do with the right to work. But it sounds great, and if you do a survey, hey, do you think everyone has a right to work? Well, of course. Yeah. But it has nothing. All it, all it means is if you're, if you're in a union, if you don't want to pay your dues, you don't have to pay, but you still get represented as if you did. So out of the 1,500 people we have at NIFSCO, we have one guy that's not paying. But I still have to represent him as if he was. Crazy. And that, you would never have any other group whether it's Boy Scouts or the Rotary or whatever, the, someone says, I'm not paying, but I expect to get the same benefits. Right. But it's the laws they set up. We have no choice. If I tried to do anything to that individual, I could get myself in trouble and be you know, brought up on charges. Wow. And you, you make an interesting point because if I'm at a voter's booth and I don't know my head from my ass in the topic, right, and I'm looking at the sheet and it's going to say right to work, sounds fun. It sounds positive. I want everyone to have the right to work, <laughs> you know? Um, and so to know that it's kind of the opposite of that in some components, especially when it comes to, like, facing, I guess, that that band of brothers that, like, a union kind of provides and that safety, it's interesting. It's an interesting perspective. Kyle, you look like you were going to say something. I think it's just, I to me, I, like, look at things in common sense, I like to think. But, like, for me, if people are living in Indiana, I feel like, it should be our responsibility to make sure jobs that are being done in Indiana are for Indiana residents. And I, I'm just, I'm just learning stuff sitting here now. But you know, I I feel like that's an important aspect of uh, being proud of where you live and stuff, and being rewarded for uh, just being in a place that helps you out where you live. I guess I don't know. I'm kind of rambling with what I'm saying here, but. I guess I'm trying to get a point out, I guess, to some degree. Well, that's exactly what the common construction wage did, which was in, in existence for 82 years. Kept the jobs in Indiana. It, it had a, a you, you sit down before the project and you, you agree on what the wage is going to be for that area. And everybody, it's, you know, the project labor agreements. And it worked for 82 years. Then all of a sudden, somebody come up, got this wild idea that it would be better to not have this. So now we got companies bidding from outside Indiana, underbidding, bringing in outside forces that take their money back and their taxes and pay it in another state. So it doesn't work. Brutal. It is. It's brutal to the economy, just like misclassification when they're paying them cash, or in some cases, they don't pay them at all. Well, you're not collecting taxes off that, so that's not going in to help. And every one of your towns and cities could use more tax money to help you know, make, you know, pave, pave the sidewalks and improve the roads, which we're finally starting to catch up with some of the potholes. So, yeah, but 
you know well, that's a good i mean man there's so much you're saying that i, I just feel like i can just <laughs> talk about for days um the the first one is is like with road construction in particular i this is a, literally a question for me why is it going on permanently and it's like how is that constantly funded and like it seems to be kind of crazy right like it's it almost feels like it's permanently slow even though it probably isn't well 2008 we had that you know the big crash there that that everything collapsed in on itself where we kind of just we people water our money was uh held tight so there was a lot of stuff falling apart in between that time and now that money is opened up a little bit the economy's opened up a little bit now we're trying to catch up with all that years that we didn't have the money to fund it crazy so, so we're almost like overcompensating now now we're trying to catch up with the years that and a lot of our infrastructure you know just like the bridge right here that's just north of 109th they've taken the entire bridge out because it it's it's old my dad my dad was a union carpenter he's retired now he's 86 he he built a lot of those bridges on i-65 because wow. i remember going there on a saturday and the i-65 was not opened up yet and just driving with nobody on there but us in our Ford's blue station wagon <laughs> all of us piled in I and mean, a lot of those bridges are starting to fail right yeah that's well you had the one down in indy when our daughter katie was getting married they were that bridge dropped down uh four four to six inches or something so you had to go all around, and what normally would take two hours, two hours and 15 minutes to get to Indy was taking us over three, four Oof, hours to get back. It's a nightmare. To, or get down there. So it's because the bridge had collapsed. And so on I-65, so they had to reroute everybody at Crazy. that time. Um, I, I don't want to like skip over the union stuff a little bit, too, because it's rare that we get to have that kind of a voice in here. Um, and so if someone were to be opposing a union, you already mentioned like this stuff when it comes to pretty much the insurance right it's it's insurance of a certain bar that's being set inside the workplace from a safety concern uh making sure you're getting paid right that kind of stuff protection um what would you say to someone who would say you know what i'm out on unions unions are stupid <laughs> i'd say they don't really understand unions because <clears throat> unions are well and there are some unions that their leaders were not you know doing their job as well as they should have been so they give other unions a bad name like car salesmen yeah i mean There's any 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 any, any field, industry yeah any industry yep that you got some that get in there and they feel entitled and they they're not there doing their job the job of the union leader is to protect its workers firstly make sure they're safe that's my number one goal is make sure they're safe and it's, it's we've had 24 people killed at nipsco due to job related injuries over the history of Nipsco? As far as we got our history back, Nipsco's over 100 years old. Our oh, wow. union, Local 12775, turned 75 last October. Wow. And How many presidents have they had? How many in your position? Well, I don't know. I can tell you that we started out as United Mine Workers in 1943, and what we're talking about where unions can go sideways, the international president of the mine workers decided that the selection came up in 1970 and one of the people running had the family murdered what that's part of the history so in 1971 a lot of the people left the united mine workers so you know you have it over history different unions that go kind of sideways that give it a bad rep but 
the most part, most unions are doing everything they can to protect their, their members, to make sure that, one, they, that if there's something wrong, they, they protect them on their grievance, you know, grievances. If they have to, take it to arbitration. Safety, you know, dealing with OSHA. We, never, we used to have to deal with OSHA a lot, and we've done much better with it. So, but we have, we've built, built up a system to watchdog and our, our number one quote is be our brothers and sisters keepers to watch out for each other. So it's, it's, it's a nonstop because for most of the union jobs, like in ours, we deal with almost every kind of hazard there is from electrocution to falls off of towers or steel structure out of a bucket truck. You got gas explosions, you got, even in the power plants, you can have coal explosions, you get high pressure steam there at 2,800 pounds of pressure at 1,005 degrees. If one of those line breaks, you're, you know. Toast. You're toast because <laughs> you dissipate the oxygen in that area and, and basically become a lobster, you're steam. So you got coal cars, we've had people crushed between coal cars that ended in a death. The USW 1010 recently had a death due to, you know, train cars. It's very hazardous jobs that we do. And in order to be able to live in, with, indig with dignity and retire in dignity, we are, you know, deserve to have a portion of the pie. And it's always that struggle between management and union on how much each side should get. But we're doing the rough, difficult task, whether it's pouring concrete as a, you know, as a laborer or putting up steel as a iron worker, you know, or framing something or putting up scaffolding. The carpenters do a lot of the scaffolding and to get out there and do what some of those guys do and you're, they're hanging from their toenails to put out some of that stuff so other people can work on that scaffolding is very dangerous work. Crazy. And we should be compensated properly for it. And, but a lot of the corporations around America think that we should be slashed of our pension, should be slashed of our retirement medical because there's a lot of companies now that have cut that out, which I think is just absolutely wrong. Well, Nipsco, I mean, right or wrong, I don't know, like, as an observer here, right? It seems like they're printing money. I mean, they essentially, like, without knowing anything about it, it just seems like, okay, well, we're going to have a rate hike this month, and there's nothing I can... I, it's not like I go shop around. Right. Um, I'm done, you know? So it seems like... I mean, and I think, like, I read something, and I met uh, I met a few people. I, I sit on a board at uh, PNW with Don Babcock. And I've had a couple conversations with him about it too, and it's just crazy when it comes to like how like I feel like there's a lot, there's a couple service industries out there that just seem to be like when their CEOs are making like a hundred million dollars, it's just insane. They've got to be printing money, and I'm not saying the CEO of Nipsco is making a hundred million dollars, but I'm no, guessing they're not even they're no close. I mean, they make a decent wage, but it's nothing close to that. Gotcha. Um, but like, can you speak on that at all? Is this like, what, what's because it just seems like Nipsco is this ominous force that can kind of just. Do, and do you guys know that? I mean, is that what you guys kind of break when I, against? When I started, I started there nineteen July nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight. So it's close to forty one years ago. You could not tell someone you worked at Nipsco. It was hated. People hated Nipsco. Such passion back then. Really. They they had billboards up. And you just people did not like them and I can tell you from the union's perspective we've done a lot over the years to try to take care of our customers just like here this we just had a Thursday Friday 
we had a major storm where we people were on you know on the ground doing everything they could to try to get they had over 80 poles broke snapped off from the storm they had and those guys are out there no matter what the conditions no are. No matter what the conditions, and storms don't come when it's 70 degrees and nice. They, <laughs> they, they're caused by volatile it's changes. Good, that, it's good to keep that in mind. Yeah, and, and they're out there doing everything they can to hurry up and get that back on, and it's a dangerous job. And walking into neighborhoods where the wires are down, and you don't know if it's energized or not. You don't know if the breaker tripped. You try to do all the pre-checks, you know, checking your lines, following them out. But we've had lines on, on fences where had they grabbed it, would have you know killed people because they didn't trip like it was supposed to we've had different things happen over the years that it it's a very hazardous job now we haven't had a death since february of 2008 mm. and we do everything we possibly can to try to prevent that but we've had a lot of near misses we just recently had with uh, a call handler that walked into a in a smoky area and fell through a trap door and caught himself by an elbows that had he not caught himself he would have went down in smoldering coal at around 600 degrees on converging floors so it's i hate to laugh at that but i'm laughing out of insanity it's like a thousand ways to die type yeah stuff and right it, there. you know but we went in there and we changed it so we got the there's now welded in place some uh grading so that you can work but you can't fall through so we're always working constantly with the company, trying to f- make it as safe as possible. But there's always seems like there's a new way to get seriously hurt. But it's but that's part of the union's job. For those companies that don't have unions, they're just told do it. Yeah. And then once we'll they've had a death, then they go, oh, I guess that wasn't the way to go. Crazy. So can you paint the picture of say it's a blizzard, okay. right? Paint the picture for the people listening of what that looks like in the backside of Nipsco. So there's a blizzard. It's let's say horrible north of north of the wall conditions in Game of Thrones, which I know you don't watch that as we talked before. <laughs> but we're talking like howling winds, snow sideways, accumulation of two to three feet, poles are going down. What's the game? What happens? Well, typically, we usually have a uh, conference call, trying to get everybody all organized in which direction we're going to go. Typically, if there's a blizzard like that, you're going to have the power plant people getting locked in so you figure out how what's their what's their sleeping arrangements their eating arrangements what's how they're going to be paid we what try to, well yeah so people aren't leaving there well if they can't get in or out you know those people are locked in there and and people you know they can't get in to replace them so you got that to deal with but then you also have all the customers that are now without power and super pissed and our guys are very dedicated to our customers we are very dedicated so when we know customers are out we're out there doing everything we can but there's a lot you got to start you got to start looking at well, all right what circuits are down how can we start switching because we got a group of substation electricians that'll start switching things around trying to bring back power to as many as they can at the time well if you got towers down like we had down over off i-65 and 231 where towers were just blown over that takes out the big circuits. That takes out a lot of people. And you gotta try to work around that, do the switching and stuff like that. You have to assess the conditions, try to figure out, all right, what do we need? How many poles? How much equipment? How much manpower? And you start mobilizing all the equipment. You all get, in real time. All in real time. You got people in the stock room that are starting to fill all the bins and stuff. 
for what they think are going to be needed for that job, they're in the background starting to pick, what they call pick all the parts that they're going to need to start filling the trays. They're working on that while they're still assessing because they know there's going to be certain things they're going to need. Poles goes down, you, need, you know you're going to need wire, you need insulators, you need poles, cross arms, angle irons to hold the cross arms, your cutouts, your fuses, all that stuff is, it's got to be started to get put together. In the meantime, you got, we may bring in the construction electricians or gas side to start clearing the path because you still got to be able to get to the area to work on it. And if you got trees down or you got two foot of snow, you got to start clearing that path to get to that area. So it, it all takes time. You can't just be there. You gotta have the parts. You gotta have the people mobilized. Right. You gotta have the area clean. And like when I hang up a storm door at my house, it's been taking me four days. Cause I go, I get, I put it to up and I'm like, oh, you know what? I should be good. And then I'm like, shit, I gotta go back to Home Depot. And that's like five Home Depot trips later from doing it. I'm guessing it's gotta be similar. You can only hold so much stuff. You can only hold so much stuff and you get right? out there and you find out that the job, it's not, you know, it's not what you think, so now you got send somebody else back while you can do what Crazy. you can do. So it's and then you start tearing up, tearing out the old poles, and you got to get locates. If not, you got to bring in the hydrovac, and there's you know those guys. Again, you got operating engineers doing a great job with that, helping us out. Those companies, and then you just start putting the pieces back together. Is there like a main center of like a brain that is overseeing it all? Like, is there like someone like, I'm thinking like we did a video for the Smart 911 Center and it was crazy to go in there because it felt like you were, what the what, what 24 looks like, <laughs> you know, with Jack Bauer running around and all these like monitors. It's exactly what it looks like. There's like a hundred monitors. Is. It's there crazy. Is. And so, is, so you have that kind of mainframe going where they can kind of see the grid in real time? All the time. Yes, they got, we no go over south like on I-65 and 30 there that big white concrete building down in the basement you got one group that handles electric distribution and you got one group that handles electric transmission and they they have a great big huge board in the electric distribution one the transmission one where they can start plotting out all the things that are down and they're sitting there studying each electrical grid to see what how they can circumvent to put power back on and over at the ESL you got the distribution group those are like 12,000 500 and below that are sending out trucks and you're, you're they're coordinating and it's a madhouse because they are dealing with the customers when they're calling in and they're dispatching trucks at the same time trying to figure out what's going on and keeping track of all the trucks that are going on and any kind of extra help that may come in from the state if it's too big you're trying to keep track of those so you don't put people on the same circuit get enough killing somebody so it is really intense, and it's just solid. So I'm guessing it's one of those jobs that's like, there's a lot of nothing going on for most of the time, and then when it gets intense, it gets intense. Well, you got every day. You got certain crews that are out. They're they're dispatching those crews, but when it when a storm hits, man, it gets intense, and it's it is. I don't know how they handle it sometimes. Like literally life and death. Oh yeah, because yeah. it's you know you got. Well, I think we just had 30,000 people out over the weekend that we had to get back on real quick. We've wow. had 125,000 people. That's that's a lot. Over 100,000 people is a lot of people to put back on. Heck, yeah, especially in the cold. At NIPSCO, we go from the Illinois border to the Ohio border. And from Michigan border down past Kokomo, down, by, down past Kentland, and then we got a gas-fired plant down in Terre Haute. So we cover the upper third of Indiana. 
And if a storm comes through and it's a rolling storm, this storm this past weekend, or I should say Thursday. You're talking the one with like all this, the, the tornadoes that like was south of us that was just destroying everything? It, it was down in Ketlin. It knocked out a whole bunch of poles, but then it also went over to Goshen. And our guys over in Goshen were working up until yesterday, up until about 10, 11 o'clock last night. Whoa. So it's, it's, a moving, it's a moving part. You got gas leaks that we're always responding to. You know, we're one of those businesses that doesn't, we can't say, well, we're between new, midnight and five, we're not going to go in that neighborhood. Wherever a wire goes down, and we, we have people hitting poles all the time. It'd be, it's amazing how many people are hitting poles. It's <laughs> sliding off the road or not paying attention, especially with texting nowadays. And we got gas leaks. And if someone calls in a gas leak at two in the morning, you got to go. You got to go. So, hmm. you know, we've tried to get laws passed down at the state house to protect workers that if, you know, to make it a little stiffer penalty if you harm a utility worker. And we just can't get it past the opposing party. Yeah. Well, I. I don't know much about politics. You probably know way more than I do. I think the thing that's more frustrating about it than anything. And um, and I was talking to Zach about this earlier this week. Zach Bryan, who's running for councilman in Crown Point. Uh, <laughs> give him a shout out. Um, I, I was talking to him about it. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing that it, you can see as an observer is just uh, the party shaming and like the, the disjointment out of it just to make sure that the other party doesn't get what they want. It's pretty ugly. It gets ugly quick, and it just doesn't make any sense why that would be a thing and it wouldn't be about the people, you know? But I guess it can get emotional like anything else. Well, even for my wife, they spent over 800000 trying to uh, attack her in this last election. They had ads on TV that took the facts and totally just made them unfactual, but tried to do everything they could to... to uh, make her look as bad as possible to try to beat her so instead of having an opponent that can run off their own merits they were taking and making nasty ads they took one of our we were at a uh a rally for usw 1010 when they were going through their contract negotiations where we were uh just marching for a fair contract it was a peaceful quiet march over uh by the mill they took that picture of her holding a usw sign and then said and just blurted out cut it around it and said this is a liberal radical that's going to build big government <laughs> Come on. and so it was you know it was not, a, not nothing close to that she was at a rally marching with the usw in support of them getting a fair contract but somehow they took it off our facebook and put it out there as she's a liberal radical that's going to build big business and pro-abortion and all this other stuff that was it was federal issues but they made it because they know that's what scares people wow and so I, I mean that's a great point though like lisa for your example like when people are running those kind of ads what's the what, what, how does that feel i mean you see them all the time i mean i would feel like you'd be infuriated right so yeah. I know a lot of friends who have run in the past and because of those ads they didn't run again and that's what's really sad is you know saying things that are untrue yeah there was a woman um, who is a teacher she's an art teacher for elementary school students who who doesn't love an art teacher 
this lady is exactly actually i think it's music i'm sorry it's music but anyway this lady is amazing and about a week before the election she was running for state rep as well they put out an ad and students came up to her little kids came up to her and asked her about the ad so I, crazy. I, I think there is something that sometimes you go too far when you make statements about people. And I think, um, you know, but it also at the same time put somebody in a position in their own career that, you know, she felt really vulnerable. And that's not right. I do want to say something real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. Earlier you were talking about Pearl Harbor. Vernon was born on December 7th. No way. Nice, nice. Full circle. That's right. Um, Because, I mean, that's the thick skin of that has got to be insane. And I mean, clearly, obviously, I'm not dealing with it on, like, a political side, you know. Um, But even, like, with what we do, it's, like, it's amazing every once in a while the people that just want to troll and just start rumors, you know. And how do you defend yourself against it? Because it feels like if you address it, you're feeding into it. So it's almost, unless it's, like, bad enough where you have to, right? Yeah, and some of us just said, when we first got into this and we got people, when we first created her account, her Facebook account, and people would get on there, and you start checking, they weren't even from, from Indiana. They were there just to antagonize and try to bait you on to get it's into crazy. an argument. But that's what they do, because they just, they're just trying to cause, start shit just to get you frustrated. And so, But, you know, even now, when she came back, there was an editorial in the times that said uh that she had voted against the data center why would she vote against the data center she didn't vote against the data center when it came through the house she voted in favor of it. it's good jobs it went to the senate they added a portion on their amendment that said we want 75 percent of the material to build it and 75 percent of the people to be from indiana that was a great addition things that to help the small businesses and business in indiana and to help labor in Indiana, that's awesome. So when it came back to the House of Representatives, she voted against that amendment. But the paper said, why would she vote against those jobs? She didn't. She was all in favor. And then they said, why, did, why was she against the train? She's not against the train, the $200 million going towards the train. She voted against the budget because it didn't give teachers the raises that they promised in the beginning. But they manipulate whoever that was that wrote that editorial was trying to manipulate the scenario and people don't know. So people go, why would she vote against the, you know, the train? She didn't, she had nothing. She has no ill will toward the train, Putting those 200 million towards the train is awesome. She voted against the budget because the teachers didn't get what they were promised. That's Crazy. why she voted. Well, you know what? That's so, it, man, there's so much to talk about here, but like it, we're talking about the, I think one thing working in media, right is just how how much money speaks in that you know and even when i was at lakeshore uh it's like there's just certain certain people out there that are just gonna say here's 20 grand you don't need to really prove anything to me right we're not gonna we're not gonna hold you hostage by numbers or marketing or roi we're just gonna give you this so it can influence maybe how you report something you know and so it's and there's no way like knowing the way that like print is right now there's no way that's not happening at the times i know i've heard stories personally of it like happening rim shot that takes away the complete objectivity from like reliable sources that i that i won't name but it's just a crazy way to see how media in particular can be persuaded mm-hmm. you know and not in like a i guess it is kind of in an evil way I had a meeting with a union head that I won't name. It was one of my first meetings when I first started. 
And I don't think it's definitely a different animal now than it was then. But you could tell for sure that this person was willing to give me as much money as I would have asked for. That was been realistic, right? In in exchange for asking for a favor down the road. Yeah, I felt it. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't I don't know where that's going, but it's just it's something that's interesting to to like just speak about. Right. Well, it's like in anything you 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 got to know what your virtues are and your integrity so i mean there's a thousand things that come at you throughout the month that you have to make that decision are you going to do what's virtuous or are you going to do something that you know it's not so virtuous mm-hmm. it's just to me it's always been a cleaner conscience just to try to do your best and be as virtuous as possible yep so, sans influence so is there anything going on locally that uh, you'd, you'd like to address? Anything that like is interesting for you? I know there's a couple topics for me that like kind of drive me crazy. What's that? Uh, out, of, out of sheer just fun. Um, do you guys like to be called a region rat? Is that something that you guys I, are into? I actually like the region rat. See? Damn it. I hate it. Lisa, you hate it. See? See, I don't know. I, <laughs> I was crawling through those power plants like at the Mitchell station pulling cable wire when I was a... Uh, electrician journeyman electrician and so i was kind of like a region rat i felt like a rat <laughs> i was the smallest one on the crew so it's like all right beck grab the lead and start <laughs> pulling it through that cable tray so so do you have any kind of interesting perspective on why maybe someone should believe in the region rat outside of just that because I, I there's this kid that came in to meet slater this week and he's from out of town he's from south bend area and i'm like slate what is what is your perspective of a region rat? Is that positive or negative? He's like negative for sure. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Get a jacket with a region rat on the back. It's badass. <laughs> Hilarious. And and then the the other one that I have like a I have a hot take on for me is Gary in particular because it just seems like it's five zip codes. It seems like it's been completely mismanaged. And I'm not going to put that on like this mayor or whatever. That's for other people to decide. It just seems like it's this thing that's just kind of like a train rolling downhill you know and it just seems to be much simpler to just to re like invigorate that community and like for me would be to kind of split up the five areas and try to sell that type that type of property to something to kind of like kind of create a borough system so that way like if one borough system wants to wants to like foster and be be like you know beneficial then they could do that and they can kind of start to redesign and character around like almost like the founding fathers of it does that make sense? I'm not sure. <laughs> I so don't know. I've, I've worked in Gary uh, 40 years ago. I was on the line side. We were updating the line. And it's it's been a depressed area, you know, the whole time I've been at NIPSCO. Because that's one of our main areas that we work in all the time. And you look at it, the, the mills, there are some mills that had 25,000 people that they're down to 3,000 now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of jobs where if you're not getting work, and you're not paying taxes, then you're not going to be able to do the things necessary to keep your town, you know, up to date. Right. So it's, you know, Nips, northern Indiana right now is the most industrial dense area in the nation. In the nation? In the nation. Whoa. Because Pittsburgh has now been, you know, greatly reduced with their industry, Detroit and different places. Right now, if you're, if you're coming off the toll road, the Skyway, and you look out there at night, it is massive out there. Oh, yeah. It's massive. And it goes on for miles. 
And when someone told me Gary was five zip codes, I couldn't believe the sheer land size of that. That's huge. Yeah. And like you got Miller Beach, who seems to be like I don't want to say like all of Miller is prosper, prospering, but like at least that like section starting to gild some character. It's starting to kind of create some tourism. And we've got we've got builders in my family in particular, and they're reinvesting in a lot of rental properties there. But because it's like so large that it doesn't seem to be focused. So now it's just like all around people are just buying properties. It just seems to make sense to kind of compartmentalize it a little bit and start to rebuild. But I don't know if that's a crazy theory or if it's even possible. I don't know either. That's a big area. Huge. It's a lot of depression. And so. there's some great people in Gary. I've met a lot of great people, and I'm not. And and I think that like if you spend time there, you'd be surprised at like how much is going on there and how much people are trying. So I don't want to like make it sound like it's just one huge hellhole. You know, there is some really cool stuff happening, and there's a lot of great art coming out of there in particular, um, from the music and like paint and all that stuff. It's really cool. You know, I I was walking in Etna on Friday, trying to find some of the gas service they just ran because there was some. I was told there were some areas that they may have done it. They had some outside contractors come in and, and they may have done it in, improperly. So I was just trying to check it. And everybody that I ran into there, as it was 40 years ago, are nice. And yeah, everyone's cool. You know, it's, a lot of it is they don't want to be in that situation any more than we want them to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. But if, if the work is not there, that's why it's important to get like the data center and these different jobs you know, in the, that area so they can have jobs available. Sure. And, you know, I know Karen, Fr- Mayor Karen Freeman Wilson was trying to take down the houses that were abandoned to help clean up the area. Where do you start? And, you know, right? they, she did, she got quite a few done. So hopefully the new mayor will, you know, be able to do that and get some organization going, like you said, and maybe, maybe make some headway there. But it's, until we get the jobs, people have to have jobs when they get jobs and they can pay mm-hmm. taxes and mm-hmm. the taxes can feed in there and, and then they can do things. Well, you know, people don't realize how slow some of this stuff takes too. I mean, the, 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 the box outs that are happening in downtown Crown Point is like, I'm in this, I could, I'm hearing this secondhand, so I didn't do the research or anything, but it sounds like from what I've heard, like that was a Dan Klein thing that just finally got through, right? So it's like, and then your aunt taking it on the chin about these box outs left and right. And it wasn't even, while he's the one kind of executing it, it was kind of something that was put in play 15 years ago. So Mm -hmm. it's like, how much of that kind of exists in politics and how much of it's just telling the the best story, whether it's right or wrong. Right. Making villains or heroes out of people, apparently. We had discussions on the book outs earlier today. (laughs) You know, it's one of those subjects where people like it or they don't like it. That's, you know, I kind of like them because it, keeps you from getting ran over out there yeah and they were saying that i mean it makes it's logical to me that if there's 90 feet between spot to spot it only makes sense to shorten it up to make make sure that people aren't in the road as long otherwise you're doing i mean we, we i've played baseball a 90 foot sprint from home to first to first to second it's like a, that's a long time and people mm-hmm. don't realize that's a basketball court it's pretty long <laughs> it's long yeah. so it's like and that's what we got to run to dodge cars is it's insane Kyle, do you want to add anything? You got the mic on your hand there. No, uh, I have my news if we want to get to that. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to one of these before, Vern, but um, every every week uh, Kyle adds his takes of what he finds interesting that's topical in the news. Um, the first story that I thought was pretty crazy is a woman 
went missing in Hawaii after going on a, like a hike. She decided to leave her cell phone and any other technology behind to go on this hike. She ended up falling off a cliff and then she survived out in the Hawaii forest or wherever this may be for 17 days. And I just find it pretty bizarre in 2019 with all the technology and stuff that people could still just suddenly go missing in areas. But it's like, if you are going to go hiking, why wouldn't you just bring your cell phone with you? What disadvantage is it not bringing your cell phone, you know? Don't want to crack the screen? Something that's... Maybe no... no uh, Service? Service. Maybe no service. But I guess still, to your point, bring it just in case, right? Right. And I've been... To, and so, like, I don't know what island that is. Does it say? Uh, no, I didn't get... The, I just know it was in Hawaii. I didn't know the Pacific part or where it was, but I guess it's, like, in a secluded area where a lot of, like, off off like trail hiking's done or something so that's a lot of places there's a thing called road to hana um on maui and i don't know are you guys familiar with that never been to hawaii so, so my uh, my wife convinced me to do this and it's about um it's about 16 miles 15 miles but it's got five thousand curves or something like that and so you're literally going 10 miles an hour the entire time and then sometimes up to 30 most of the time you're fighting it's one-way roads so you're fighting against oncoming traffic so you've got to like stay focused the entire time so who get, who's getting the right away to actually use the road i white knuckled that drive the entire time and on my way back down i mean i was like I, it was so stressful for me that i couldn't even enjoy the experience on the way down a car went over the cliff and like there was like there was like helicopters coming and everything why is insane for that stuff i'm not a hiker um, I, I actually really enjoy hiking, and it's something I do quite a bit. But you were to, you went to Michigan City to hike last weekend, right? It got canceled because of the rain. So let me ask you this: This is a great question because of Michigan City. What is the deal with that Simpsons like esque tower that shoots a bunch of smoke out of it from the Nipsco plant? What is that? That the thing that everybody thinks is a nuke plant? <laughs> yeah. That, what is that? <laughs> that is a cooling tower. All it does is cool water. That's it. Really, <laughs> that big pod which looks like a huge, you know, bowl or whatever. That's a water comes in there. It goes through these veins that the air is being moved through it, and it cools the water off and sends it back in the plant because it's drawing the heat off of a lot of different parts. Crazy! I had no idea. I, I, I heard nuclear stuff the entire I got, time. I got introduced to that. 41 years ago when I first hired in Nipsco, I had to go in there and clean the slime out of the bottom of it. So I, I got <laughs> up close and and. Comfort, comfortable with that place right from the start. <laughs> um, that's crazy. It is. It's that, nasty, that, too, and it That's stinks. why you like the rat. That's why you like that's the right. rat symbolism. And that rat was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, what else you got for us? Um, Raptors make it to the NBA Finals after winning four straight games against the Milwaukee Bucks. And pretty much any analysis, any sports figure commentator had Milwaukee win in the series, including myself. And so Toronto ends up winning four straight games, going to the NBA Finals, and Kawhi Leonard had like a Michael Jordan-ass type series with the point production and just kind of overall what he did for the Raptors for this entire series. Yeah, fantastic. I watched last game. Um, Giannis really got, I think, um, his weaknesses were were shown. Um, I think his offseason is going to be trying to find a jump shot that's contested and hitting it consistently. Mm-hmm. What we should have done if I knew Vern was so anti-sport, not anti-sports, but so like, like just 
un- disconnected from sports. Disconnected is very. I'm not anti-sport. I love sports. Playing just, sports. Just disconnected. I just don't have the time to watch sports. So he mentioned uh, before we got on the air that you wouldn't know any sports figure right now. And then we mentioned LeBron James and Tom Brady. If I would have known that before, it would have been fun to get like ten headshots. And seeing how many he could and make me right look now. stupid like no. you did the questions earlier. No way, no way. <laughs> I would have been bad. It would have been bad. Oh, that would have been funny. Um, but I, I thought it was a great series. Um, really enjoyed uh, watching it. I think it's going to be Golden State in five, probably. Um, and I think the the big media narrative right now is that Kevin Durant is is like it's crazy to think Golden State plays better without Kevin Durant. Um, Granted, on paper, they're right because he's probably one of the top three players in, in basketball. At the end of the day, though, I think they play a better style without him. Yeah. It's, it's going to just be really interesting to see what KD does after the end of the season because he's going to be a free agent. Yep. And if he stays with the Warriors or not, Clay Thompson's also going to be a free agent after this year. So, like, who knows what's going to happen to the Warriors after this final NBA championship wraps up. My prediction, Clay, Steph, Draymond, all stay, Durant, Boogie are gone. Yeah, I, I would say that's... I would agree with that. But I don't know how real that is, right? Yeah, but I mean, if you're KD, you stay on the Warriors, you can win at least two to four more championships, and I mean... Yeah. Legacy. That's legacy stuff. Yeah, and he's all about that, so who knows? Yeah. Um, do you play horse? Do you shoot hoops at all? Oh, yeah. Kyle and I are one versus one against each other all time right now. We're one one game. One game. We've had about a three week to four week hiatus <laughs> since we've had our last matchup. It's been a while. That'd be fun. I'd like to go out there and shoot some horse. Are you are you at the new Y? Do you have the do you have the membership there? We're switching from the we were at the, the Crown Point Y, then we went to Valpo. Oh, the Valpo then, Y was incredible. It's incredible. And then though. We're gonna come back to Crown Point. Cool. We'll have to make that set up. We'll have to film it too. That'd be fun. <laughs> the last game we took took about a what forty five minutes. It was long. It was a it was a struggle. We both got cold quick. <laughs> Milky White was not him. No, no he well, was not. My mind does. My mind is a lot more uh, appealing to myself than my body is. Being, I'll be sixty this year, and I can't do all the things that I used to be able to do. But my mind still thinks it can. Oh yeah, I'm guilty <clears throat> of that myself. Uh, even at 36, I went to, um, I got this horrible story. It actually ended not ended my workouts. Uh, you know, Jerry Bryan. Yeah. Right. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm in the YMCA and I'm, uh, sitting there and I'm talking to Bobby Anderson who owns smart belly and we're sitting there talking and my wife and my kid are in the pool getting swimming lessons. She's about to, she just turned one, uh, Wednesday and, uh, I'm on my way. I'm like, I'm going to go work out. So I, I, I wore stuff to work out and I'm walking down the hallway and Jerry's like, Hey, you should come in this kettlebell class. And I'm like, how hard can it be? Right. So I go over there and, uh, I like, and if I'm ever going to do something like that, it's going to be impulsive. I can't think about that stuff. Cause then I'll just won't show up. You know, <laughs> it's just too intense. So I go in there. It's me and 49 other women. No exaggeration. It's just filled with women and me. And I'm dead in the middle. Cause I was one of the first people in the class. So at one point, I'm like making small talk with the women around me. And I'm just like, hey, so like, what am I, what do I have to look forward to here? And uh, they're like, oh, I made it through. I thought I wasn't, but I made it through. You're not going to have any issues or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I'm like building confidence as it's going. So I go get my mat. I got a sweatshirt on. I got my hat on, right? And I go get like 10 pound bells, 10 pound kettlebells. Cause I'm like, it's my first time. Let's not overdo it, right? So. We start off with like basic calisthenics. We're doing jumping jacks. We're touching knees, you know, and it's like even that already is like sweats going. 
And I'm starting to kind of feel like, oh man, I haven't done this in a minute, you know? So now I'm like trying just to keep up with all these women. And again, like I'm in the middle of this. So there's no way of not seeing me in like this. in this. So the first round after the calisthenics come on, the first round starts up and I'm like, all right, I take the sweater off, sit it down. And I start doing these workouts and it's like all these lunges and this stuff. And it's like intense. Jerry's just a, she's an energizer bunny. You know, she just keeps going. And then she sees me working with the 10 pounders, walks over to the other kettlebells, gets me a 25 pounder. So I'm like, mm. I'm like, shit, here we go. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's like straight peer pressure in the middle of the room. So it's like, I can't be a pussy and not do that. So I'm like, okay. So I grab that. And so now I'm working with the 25 pounds that ends. And I'm like, oh man, my, my, like this muscle at the bottom of my back and my, my groin and quads are just starting to feel it, you know? So I'm like, oh shit, here we go. And so round two starts up. Granted, this class is 45 minutes long. We're 10 minutes in at this point, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I've got my hat off. I've got my sweatshirt off. And I'm just like, all right, let's do it. Man up, you know, second wind. I start going in the second round and that ends because it was like a minute thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to puke. I'm going to puke. So I get <laughs> this is super embarrassing and to the point enough to where I thought it might happen in the room right and so i'm like i'm there's no way i'm in it so I'm, I'm like all right i gotta get out of there so i take one step and i can barely walk i thought i was going down so I'm like my legs are jello at this point backs jello i know i'm I, it's over for me for at least three days right like it's over i'm not having any more fun so i get out there i get to the bathroom dry heaving i'm like i'm like almost puking at this point it's super embarrassing then i then the worst part was is I felt it too embarrassed to go get my stuff. All my stuff was still there. So in the middle of the class is just my sweater, my hat, my my tarp, my weights. And um, I'm just like, oh, man. So then, like, finally the class ends. I'm just sitting there waiting for the class to end, right, for 30 minutes. I go in there, grab my stuff. Jerry's, like, being super nice. She's like, no, don't worry about it. It happens to everybody. It's like, okay, whatever. I'm the only one who didn't make it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm watching the, the door. The 49 <laughs> women did. Yeah, they were great. And um, <laughs> I, I'm walking out, and then I get a text from Jay. And literally, like, I'm walking like a 95-year-old man. Like, I can barely move, right? And I get a text from Jay Cherry, who works here. And she, she's, like, uh, she's like, hey, did um, were you just in a kettlebell class? And I was like, yeah. She's like, some girl just said you walked out and called you a total pussy. <laughs> so I was recognizing that. So that's the kind of impression I'm giving to the public, Vernon. Awesome. <laughs> but the You're making the rest of his men look bad. Looking horrible. And I haven't been back to workout since. Literally the day two of that soreness, I had to like lay on my bed and wiggle into my pants. That's how bad it hurt. <laughs> Where's so. the eye of the tiger? <laughs> Gotta come back. Did not exist. Um, but the Y has great facilities. I know they just opened up the outside pool. So have you guys checked it out yet? Yes. We went on the tour when they opened up. Can I oh, ask you a sure. So you've described your uh, attire that you had on when you were at the kettlebell class. Mm -hmm. One time you referred to it as a sweatshirt, but twice you've referred to it as a sweater. No, definitely not a sweater. Because okay, I'm envisioning like. <laughs> I'm envisioning like uh, the Great Gatsby with the sweater around your neck. Maybe that's your problem. That would be hilarious. What do they call that? Like the 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 pilot gear, like the yeah. the, the little scarf, the scarf and the leather jacket. Yeah. No, it was a sweatshirt, and it was a little. It was one that I found that wasn't mine, so it was a little baggier than usual, and it was zip up. And I don't really wear a lot of this. So that's why it rings the bell so much. But it's sweater, a sweatshirt, a sweatshirt. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> 
Um, but get the wide membership, and we'll definitely be playing horse. That'd be fun. Sure, jump on in. This is the beauty of this section. It's just kind of a free-for-all. Well, I'm super excited because on June 1st, which is Arbor Day, um, at Bulldog Park, we're going to be giving out um, seedlings. Uh, we picked out, uh, I think they're white pines and red oaks. So super excited, 200 of them. No way. One to a person, and I hope to give them all out. It's going to be really and, fun. And when she said we're going to give seedlings out, I'm thinking these like these little 8, 10-inch things. These things are like three feet tall. <laughs> really? <laughs> I even bought like little pots. I thought, oh, it would be kind of cute. Sit them out. There's, these things are huge. I don't want people to think they're huge like trees, <laughs> but they're more than a six-inch seedling. They're three or four. They're about three feet. <laughs> over Where do you feet. plant those? In your yard. In yeah, my yard. You plant them in your yard. I tried to pick um, trees that somebody could plant because yeah. um, Crown Point has restrictions on what you can plant in the front. I don't know if you're going to want to plant a seedling in the front of your yard, you know, like on the street. Not in the street, but, you know, along the street. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so that should be really fun. That's cool. I'm like a super, I love planting trees. But um, so hopefully people that like planting trees can come out and get a tree. <laughs> then uh, the other thing that we have coming up in, uh, well, I talked to you about this. On July 19th, we're going to have a um, collaboration with, uh, partnering with the um, Small Business Administration. And hopefully you're going to be on there too. We're going to have. Yeah, I might be doing some video talk. Yeah, I'm super excited for small businesses. We're going to invite small businesses from the area, from House District 19. And then uh, we have three, you're one of them, uh, local businesses. They'll be talking about marketing. Cool. And then we have IUN and Purdue also will have, um, will be coming and talking about it. And then, of course, Lori Felt from Small Business Administration. The ISBDC? Yeah, she's going to be talking. And what's the date of that again? I'm not looking at my July calendar. 19th. July 19th. So put that on there if you want to hear me bore you about video marketing. <laughs> no, it's going to be super exciting. <laughs> then sometime, I don't have the date, and we're still working out the logistics, and uh, really we're working everything out. But I, I want to work with um, hopefully Franciscan, but uh, we're going to make something happen. A women's health fair sometime maybe in August or September so look for that and then November 19th we're gonna do or I'm actually partnering with the building trades and um, the workforce innovations they put on um, an event every year where the high school students from all over the county come I think Porter County as well they get to come and they get to see what each trade does they actually like get to physically see what trades do so the last two hours of the event, we're going to do something where we're really going to be focusing more on displaced workers, not necessarily kids that are in high school, but folks that are maybe in their 20s or 30s, maybe even 40s, who are thinking about changing careers and you know maybe exposing them to some other careers. I, I think I may invite um, some other, uh, like for instance, we had talked to somebody from Arsenal Middle. Uh, they have some trades as well, so it might not just be building trades. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited about that because when we went out and did um, door knocking last year when I was canvassing, um, I had quite a few people that talked to me about, you know, what do you do when you lost your job in Chicago and you move back home and they can't find a job here? So, um, you know, there's all kinds of things we ran into. We ran into people that moved here from Chicago or from Illinois, but they're still in their job in Illinois or in Chicago because they can't find something, uh, a job that makes as much money. So um, that's something that I know the local government um, officials, both mayors are really concerned about. And so we're, that's something that I'm concerned about as well, is making sure that we have good jobs here, so. Oh yeah, and that's, a, I mean, that's just a way to for ensure long-term prosperity, right? Yeah, that's awesome, that's great stuff to do. Go ahead, jump on in. I wanna talk about this because um, we had, um, a lot of people have asked me about uh, road repairs. 
and of course um, INDOT, which is something that um, I would have influence on, I guess you could say, would uh, you know would be state highways. So what the the majority of people that have talked to me when they've complained about you know or wanting to know what's going on is uh, 231 and Delaware, which there is going to be a bump out. That's uh, south is um, Schmidt Farms. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. There's a lot of traffic now because of that whole area off I-65. Yep. So they are, uh, I, we had INDOT come, I think it was two weeks ago, to Crown Point High School. And they're, so they, they are working on something at 231 and Delaware. But to be honest, the majority of people that came out that day were concerned about 109th. And um, I mean, I guess to to put all their concerns into just a couple sentences, when I-65, I when we got the interchange off of, onto 109th, the amount of traffic has increased just exponentially. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the folks that are actually taking I-65 south and getting off either in Crown Point or going to Winfield, actually go to Illinois, or Illinois actually go to uh, Porter County. So there's like 17,000 cars a day that travel on 109th. Oh, yeah. So, I live right there. Oh, do you? I, yeah, okay. I live on uh, in Edgewater subdivision. It's okay. like, um, so if you take Delaware right there to 113th and then go over 65, my subdivision's on the left side. So I deal with that traffic all the time. Um, I don't well, know if there's anything you can do about it. And it's only going to get more popular, right? Except well, for I mean, I think Crown Point, if you, the, the mayor put on the, I believe it's on the city's website, his plan. And they had a, I believe it was an engineering firm that went out and uh, prioritized all the different aspects of road repairs. So you can actually see when your road is going to get repaired, and they have a lot of things planned for 109th, at least relieving the congestion of 109th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, east of I-65, and as you get closer to Winfield, and to be honest, there's only 2,400 homes in Winfield. I mean, they would never be able to pay for the type of repair that we need to do to 109th. It's just never going to happen. So what we're working on right now, we had the meeting with INDOT. They suggested that we went to NERPSI. Um, I met. I went to the meeting in Nerpsey and spoke. Um, you know, told them about our request. Right now, from what we understand, the federal money's been um, cut off. <laughs> so, um, you know, we need to. We, we got to find a fix. So we have the the engineering. There was an engineering study done, uh, maybe I think it was two years ago. So that we have that, and the engineering firm that did it is involved. Uh, INDOT, the, one of the engineers from INDOT is putting together a plan instead of doing it all at once, which is $2 million. Mm. It's $28 million to fix 109th. I believe $2 million just to fix one of the areas that has a lot of accidents, which is 109th and um, Grand. So um, what he's going to do is he's going to break it down over time so that it's actually something that would be affordable. But once we get everybody together, and I'm only saying this, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity because so many people are concerned about 109th. Well, it's crazy. And when they don't see something happening, see it happening, then they think nothing's happening. There have been so many meetings about this. And right now, I think what we're trying to do is get everybody on the same page. And when I say everybody, I'm talking about Porter County, Lake County, um, Crown Point even, uh, Winfield, even though, it's in, even though the area that we're talking about is in Winfield, all those areas are concerned not necessarily uh, financially making an, you know an input, but having just having a united front from all these areas. So is it true that they couldn't widen 109th because that gentleman with the house wouldn't sell at the price that the town wanted to pay? Is that true? I I didn't heard that. I heard something. And I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of things that are being said. Okay. So I'm not really sure. I know one of the plans that we could do, and I say we Winfield could do 
when we when um, you know when they break down fixing 109th and Grand because 109th and Grand. I hate to even say this, but 40 years ago when I first started driving, my mother used to say, don't take 109th and never go take Grand on 109th. That was 40 years ago. That was before 17,000 cars travel on it every day. So it's only gotten worse with, uh, and I don't want to blame my 65, but it seems like all these things together. You know, we were saying at this meeting that we had at Crown Point High School with INDOT, it probably was at one time a beautiful ride to go, you know, out into the country where Winfield was when it was all country like 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a nice hilly road that we've just never put the money into fixing it. And I'm not saying this never, nothing's ever been done because that's not true. But it's not in a condition, I think, to accommodate 17,000 cars every day. So Well, and a lot of these roads get destroyed by just winter conditions, right? And, and right. plows for the most part, Right. Is that yeah. right, or am I just well, guessing? Well, I mean, I think the, the issue there, and I'm not an engineer, but uh, there's a hill on 109th, and the bottom of the hill is at Grand. So when you're on Grand and you're trying to get onto 109th, it's almost impossible because there's so many cars coming. Right. So you, I mean, you almost have to punch it and hope that you don't get hit, which is not ever a good place to be. Do you know what else is like that? Joliet Street turning left onto 41 in St. John. Oh, really? Have you, have you tried to do that? At 41? So if you go to Joliet... And it's like a 45 degree angle and you turn, try to turn left onto 41. Have you ever tried to do that before? I'm not sure. That's a death, that's a death wish. For <laughs> real. Someone, I'm surprised there's not an accident there every day. It's that crazy. So, all for it. I mean, if, if that, if, I mean, it's like, how many, just now that you're here and if people are listening, if people do have these kind of things and they really want to kind of express them, you'll listen, right? I mean, that you're supposed, they're supposed to email you i'm hoping something that's yeah. less intrusive not show up to your house obviously no i i actually gave out my phone number which is 219-741-8140 if somebody wants no to contact way. me yeah wow. i'll sit down we have um, coffee quite a bit with people that have questions especially during session people had questions about some of the laws that were coming up or i should say some of the bills and you know i'm more than happy to sit down with people i think it's really important for me to get a perspective of you know all all different perspectives on a bill because sometimes it seems like a great idea until you hear and maybe you know there's five different groups that's going to be beneficial but you know there's that one group that's going to really be hurt if there's a, a change in the law so I appreciate when people sit down you know call me and we sit down and talk about whether it's a bill or whatever the issue is but when it can't when it comes to uh, the roads I know that uh, both Crown Point and Hobart have won and I say won a lot of grant money and they've got a lot of really interesting things coming along. I think Hobart has two or three roundabouts, don't they? And they have um, a bridge. I mean, they've got a lot of award money. Crown Point has gotten a bunch of award money. So there's a lot of really good things happening. But I still have people that ask me about road work. So we asked, I asked INDOT to come in. And that's when, like I said, the majority of people at that meeting were concerned about 109th, 109th in Winfield. Hmm. So, I mean, some people, like you said, with Crown Point, I think, 109th to Broadway, but maybe not knowing what is being planned. But like I said, from what I read the newspaper, actually, you can go on to the website, the Crown Point, um, the city's website, and there's you can get to this study that was done, and it tells you the order, the priority of each of all the roads are going to be repaired. Cool. I give Dave Uran a lot of credit because he seems to be a freedom fighter. I mean, that guy, you can you can post something on Facebook, he will reply. <laughs> he will reply. <laughs> it's guaranteed. You him, he's going to go at you. He's coming right back at you. It's amazing. And it's, it's, a, it's refreshing because you just don't see it quite a bit. Well, and I really re- appreciate that he has the monthly meeting because um, 
you know, people come and they ask all different kinds of questions at the meetings. And a lot of times, since I don't live in Crown Point, I don't know what the issues are always. Mm-hmm. But going to the meeting and hearing what people's concerns were, and then he would have somebody from the city, whatever um, the issue was, would address the question or w- would make a commitment to go out and look into the issue. So that really helped me when I was knocking on doors. I'd have people. I would have just gone to you know, one of his meetings and then I would go out and knock on doors and somebody would ask me a question. And I always encouraged him to go to those meetings because they're really, he's very approachable when it comes to issues. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and man, there's the one thing that drives me crazy right now is just like just watching on Facebook, seeing it kind of unfold is this, the bump out people are also the same people who want to keep crown point old. And it's just like, what are you talking about? Like, Thank God some of these antique malls are falling. Like, we need that. I mean, seriously, because we've all been to downtown Valpo. It's just like this booming place, and there's just all this energy. And I, But you know what? If you go back about 10 years, I don't remember how long. Maybe it's longer than 10 years. I just want to believe it's only 10. But when Valpo was changing, I remember all the newspaper articles, um, you know, people that were resisting the changing oh, of yeah. Valpo. You know, businesses that had been there for 30 years, who had not made any changes to their business front and they um you know were being bought out and you know they were not happy about it yep. and even people that were maybe patrons of those businesses weren't happy when they got bought out i think sometimes it's we don't know what's happening you know like the fear of the unknown so i think that once people see what's happening and that it's going to be good change that you know will um they'll be more accepting of it my favorite um moment since that's happened is uh, I was with Chris Pappas of Provecho and uh, Dave Bryan was at the meeting that they had uh, it, was like, it was like a couple of weeks ago it was the night of the taste of the taste of uh, beer fest mm-hmm. and Pappas and I are sitting there and he's getting a text message from Brian <laughs> and it's pictures of a slideshow that's getting shown to like the whole group that's there it's probably like 50 to 100 people and it's got Chris with his arms crossed in front of Provecho and they were using it as an example of the badness that's going on <laughs> For the square, and like if anybody saw Provecho's like like exterior, they're kill- it's awesome. Yeah, and it's such a necessary need right now because a lot of these buildings people don't realize are going unrepaired. I mean, it's and I'm not you know my landlord, he's great, right? But like, there's a lot of them out there that just aren't, you know, and they're letting a lot of these buildings suffer from it. And so now we're finally starting to get some rejuvenation in the buildings too, in the construction. With the Crown Theater, it looks great. I've been in there a few times with Brad, and like the people are going to be amazed by what that is. And then uh, the old Hub Bootery and Squared Roots area, that's a really cool building they did some great repairs on. And between the bump outs, this place is going to be, I think, we're, we're looking forward to like a really positive future. So did you sign up for the murder mystery? No, but I would be into it. They, they're having it. They're having it there, and they're yeah, selling we're out. We're already signed up, ready are to you go. Really? Oh, I yeah. hear they're selling out. Oh, yeah. Are you guys going to go to our comedy show? I try to, but it's always sold out. It's just, well, okay, so by the time people are here. We have to stand on the outskirts. (laughs) The one time we were um, at Crown and there were, one of the comedian's wife was there and she couldn't get in. Yeah. So we kind of put a little pressure. It gets crazy. (laughs) She got to go up there. Yeah, I think Hannah took her up there. Yeah. Um, But uh, tickets are behind the scenes right now selling and then they go live to the public um, on Tuesday. So that's kind of the thing is that we try to take care of the people that have been following us this entire time. And so that's usually the back channels tend to get the access to the tickets before anybody else. Um, but 
I'm hoping like more and more people can start coming around. I mean, because I, I do enjoy seeing the same faces myself because they've literally been a part of what we've been doing from the beginning. Um, but it's always nice to kind of have a mixed crowd, you know. Where will it be at? Crown at again? Crown yeah, it's okay. June se- Friday, June seventh. Okay. So it'll be seven thirty and nine thirty. I think are the two. So you guys got to come. And then this Wednesday, um, we are having our wine dinner with Provecho. Oh, awesome! Which will be really fun. It's a, a blind tasting. Oh. And so it's a new it's a new like turn on it. So it's uh there's gonna be five course meal. Um, every course is gonna have a new wine. That wine's going to come in like a brown paper bag kind of vibe, so you're not going to know what you're drinking. You're going to write down like how it tastes, what you think, the notes you're experiencing, and then the sommelier is going to tell you if you're right or wrong and, and what you're really tasting. So that should be really cool. I think it's one of those things that we'll build on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the ticket price for that's kind of uh, gotten – I mean, I, I, it'd be tough for me to pull like 230 bucks for a, a, a pair, but we sold out of the VIP like that, and it was 15 tickets. Wow. And that was at 110 a piece. And so that's been crazy. And then um, we've got some uh, limited, at least as of we're recording this, some GA tickets still available. So if people are into that, is there anything you guys want to add? No, thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah this you. was fun. I just want to say it's really neat up here with uh, the atmosphere. And I love that this is a small business. And Cool. Uh, well, you got to come back on a Friday night. It's a little more fun. Okay. Everyone, everyone we, seems to lose their minds. We got George here. hasn't talked yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to do. It feels like every time we do these, now there's more and more people that just watch. It's fun, you know. Um, the the Friday ones, we have the audience interaction. And last Friday, I thought it uh, the audience took over the podcast. So we're, we're trying to figure that out a little bit. Hot takes. I, I love the I love the heightness and energy Mark brought. Yeah, yeah. but it, it it was a little extreme at Excessive. Times. Some would say excessive. Uh, I respect it. <laughs> Kyle, uh, anything else you have on your takes? Uh, I have one more uh, news story. So pretty much a burglar who got arrested for doing burglary. Okay. <laughs> he, he went out on bail and then like avoided bail and then like just ran away from the authorities. So in that time, he built a modern treehouse. This is out in California, <laughs> equipped with lighting, a barbecue grill. Uh, what else did he have? Heat and then uh, a fire pit as well. And the only reason why they caught him was because they had a sensory, like a heat sensory like system from a helicopter. And they found this guy in a random treehouse in the woods in California. <laughs> So what what was what attracted you to telling that story in particular? Do you have a vision of doing that, or is it because Vern this is Nipsco and he's off the grid? Is that like a tie-in? No, I just hey, thought hey, hey, let's not get off the grid. Now. <laughs> I, I thought it was just extremely interesting, like hide away from the cops and you just build a treehouse. I mean, it's a pretty killer idea. I feel like. I mean, you're halfway there with that beard right now. <laughs> I feel like you get some long How hair. How do they get the electric out to that tree? That's a good question. Generator, solar. Stole it from the neighbor he's taking it from. <laughs> Why is my bill so high? Yeah. He's building the treehouse. He's a real ruffian in the neighbor's yard. Yeah. It sounds like like the a mansion of, of tree houses. Yeah, well, I used to watch. There was a show on HDTV. It was called something tree. I don't even know. But this guy's specialty was just building, like, insane $20,000 tree houses. Like, they're pretty much houses. Damn. And it was a pretty cool show. The guy was a little weird. But so, choice, if you had to live in a house or a tree house, which one would you pick? 
Probably a house, but a treehouse would be dope. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, is there anything else? Is that is that wrap up your takes? That's going to wrap up things on my end today. Nice. Um, got a couple things I want to add before we sign off. Um, this week we were at Quaker Steak and uh, tried some of their hot wings. That video is coming out, and um, they talked me into doing an atomic wing challenge. I made it through four before it felt like a chainsaw was going through my tongue, so I couldn't finish it off. But they still gave me the picture on the wall. So if you if you if you go to Quaker Steak, um, uh, I got my picture on the board, and I'm holding a T-shirt. Um, also, <laughs> um, got a chance to really see some new restaurants this week, which I really want to kind of give a shout out to Scarpe and Velpo. Um, awesome, that place is going to be killer. Um, Square Roots here in Crown Point, I already mentioned that at one time, and then 113 North starting it up. Um, every, all run by good people, all really great stuff going on, so check any of that stuff out. I think we're going to be getting in those to do some first look stuff, which should be really cool. Um, and uh, again, I talked about the wine dinner. Um, we will be taking that on the road, so look forward to that experience happening across the region. I think we're going to try to do one south of 30, one north of 30, and then one east of 65 once a month so it kind of keeps going around the geographical base and kind of keep happening there um we are giving away free beer for a year so if you haven't got into that that is an awesome thing it's one pint a day so you don't get to go there and have 365 beers in one sitting but you do get one pint a day and you can gift that so please facebook has been absolutely killing us on the algorithm this week um they released some stuff out that i don't know if you guys know this or not um they've they've changed the algorithm once again and um, apparently the only things that are going to start popping in the feeds are things from what you'd consider close friends of people that you've actually in, um, interacted with or liked or re- gave a reaction to and business profiles are starting to take a dive so just be on the lookout for that it's not going to be as easy to get your information out as much as it used to um, you're pretty much going to have to sponsor everything and even then they're still repressing it so it sucks for a guy who's starting a digital media company, it sucks, right? <laughs> Lisa, what can you do about that at the state house? We need to get changes. <laughs> um, and then um, two more videos to look out for. Jay went to Shanty Wellness. That got released on Thursday. That was awesome. She does a headstand in that video. It's worth checking out. And then um, Melissa went to Mink 64 and talked to Kristen over there. So that video will be coming out this week. Dave and his Bruisers podcast. Um, he has the uh, show off brewing. There are a bunch of home brewers. They're coming in to talk about that. That's an awesome one. And then other than that, that's all I have. So Vern, thank you again for coming in. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Kyle. Great hot takes today. Thank you. <laughs> and you can follow us on Facebook across the board. Is there anything that you guys want to promote from a Facebook side that people should check out? Go to Lisa Beck for state rep. Oh, it'll be. This will be out after that. So, yeah. Um, I can tell you one thing. Do not follow Mark Moskowski State Farm, whatever you do. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you do, do not follow Mark Moskowski State Farm. That's George. (laughs) (laughs) Alias George. George Moskowski? Yeah. But hey, Mark, any publicity is good publicity. (laughs) So you got that going for you, bud. Hey, I I shared, I I sent him pictures of his promotion on my Facebook. You got a nice stuff, I don't know. You never invited me more. Okay, should we invite the crowd? We got May 31st is your grand opening, right? True. Friday, this Friday. I got live music on my uh, roof coming. It's going to be on my roof. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Like Empire Records.
It's going to be the greatest insurance agent opening in the history of insurance agencies. Making the insurance great again. Awesome. Uh, So, uh, again, thanks, everybody, for coming on, and uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.